Welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we sit down and talk with industry experts and professionals on marketing, media, and advertising. And today I'm sitting down with uh, Chris Stevenson, who is Head of Strategy and Planning for APAC here at PhD, and I'm actually at PhD. So welcome, Chris. Hey, Darren. Great to be here. Welcome to the the, the PhD campus. Well, um, look, it is a great campus. I have to tell you, it's got a, it's obviously new, isn't it? Or relatively new. Yes, yeah, a new space. We've been here a few weeks, um, enjoying being here, um, and great all to be in one space, and uh, we're, we're we're enjoying it. And also, all of Omnicom Media Group is actually here on one floor. Exactly. So we've got one big space. Um, and it's all about making sure we've got the flavours of all the brands within the group. We've got different brands with very specific propositions in market, but all part of one big group. And how do you get the best of both of those worlds? How do you make sure you've got specific propositions that are delivering to clients, but also we're leveraging those capabilities and specialists that exist at a group level? And all in one space, all on one floor, all on one uh, campus, we can do that much better. I have to say that's something I've always acknowledged about Omnicom Media is the fact that the brands do have very specific and distinctive personalities. In you know, I'd, and, and the OMD people might hate this, but I'm inclined to think of them as the muscle and PhD as the brains. And, uh, you know... <laughs> And, and that is a gross uh, generalisation, but it's a good way of being able to separate the two, isn't it? And I think the fact that you can separate the two is the point. Mm. Um, what's really important is that when clients are looking for partners and to give them advice, they understand that they're talking to organisations with clear points of view on the world. Mm. And they're talking to organisations who've got perspective um, and don't think that everything is right in every circumstance whenever a client needs it. And I think that developing those brands, developing those um, cultures and propositions is, is crazy important. Mm. Now, people can probably tell by your accent that you're British. Yes. Uh, and you've I know you from your time in Australia. How long have you been here in uh, the APAC region? Up in APAC for four and a bit years now, well over four years. Um, and then Australia five and a half years before that. So 10 years, 10 years in APAC. Right. So uh, the interesting thing is this is a beautiful office, but I imagine like most people with an APAC responsibility, you don't spend a lot of time here, or do you? Um, no, no, I spend a lot of time um, not here, which is great. One of the great privileges of this role is being able to get into markets and uh, meet people and see different perspectives um, and be exposed to different cultures and different ways of going to market. And um, that's one of the great privileges um, of the role. Um, you know, they say that w w when you're bored of London, you're bored of life. You know, and I think that if you're if, if, if you're bored of an APAC role, you know, you're, you're, you're bored of culture. So I hope I never get to that point. Because it is a very unique region, isn't it? But you talk about different cultures, but even when you get down to at, uh, the very way that media is actually uh, used and consumed. That's part of culture, it's language, it's uh, the infrastructure, the economy. All of these things create this amazing, well, challenging uh, world of Asia-Pacific. Exactly, I mean, exactly right. I mean, one, it's huge. So the 
the, just the, the size of the population and then the volume of media in this part of the world is huge. Some of the biggest, most developing markets um, in this part of the world, also incredibly diverse and amazing stories emerging from that diversity. We've seen whole markets couldn't tell you what a desktop computer is. Their, their, their internet experiences be through a mobile phone. Um, and the idea of optimizing for mobile is something which is just nonsensical to a lot of people in this part of the world. Yeah. Um, we've uh, amazing stories around great cultural campaigns here, cultural campaigns that tap into market specifics. So you can't, you can't get past things like um, how KitKat tapped into exam season um, in this part of the world, the intensity on that, and mm. the, the Kidukatsu work and all of that, which is which is just amazing. Just loads of really interesting, nuanced, cultural work, um, which is a challenge for global brands, but also a huge opportunity for brands to get that right. Um, so big, diverse in terms of media consumption, diverse in terms of culture, um, and then even within markets, huge diversity. Mm. Uh, a market like China is continental. There is more diversity within China than there is within Europe. And I think that when you look at the region, I think a lot of the time, actually, we see we, we see media through geographic, geographic lenses. And we've worked very hard to get away from that. Shanghai has got a lot more in common with Paris mm. than it has uh, in common with Hangzhou. Well, because it's got uh, an international flavour to the city. I mean, you can tell that when you go to Shanghai. It is funny, though, because, you know, one of the things that cracks me up personally is uh, friends, you know, Western friends that go, oh, yeah, I've been to China. Oh, where have you been? Oh, I've been to Shanghai. I went to Beijing and I've been to Hong Kong. And I go, well, you know, I think the people of Hong Kong are currently arguing whether they want to be part of China. But yes, they are. But that's actually such a small part of China. You know, we're talking about the two biggest tier one cities and then you've got uh, uh, Guangzhou. But then you've got this amazing uh, depth of uh, diversity with each of, you know, you get to tier two, three, four and even tier five cities uh, that are out there, you know, millions of people. It's exactly right. I mean, you, you could take the entire diversity of Europe and Middle East, take all the diversity, the entire spectrum of that, and in China alone, you could times it by two. Um, at, at either end of the spectrum to, to, to extend that. It is um, uh, the same in India, in, incredible diversity within India. You cannot, you cannot look at these markets like markets. And it's really important for media that you understand at a city scale, at a regional scale, uh, and you, you understand the level of geography that you can engage at. And those two markets, I think, are almost, if they're over a quarter, they're probably a third of the world's population. Yes. I think it's a quarter. But um, then you get other markets that are smaller, but still nevertheless challenging, you know, like uh, Malaysia, because it's such a culturally diverse country. Um, and then you've got uh, large, well, relatively large, you know, it's hundreds of millions of people like Indonesia, which is a very different market again. Exactly right. And you've got very different. But what I find fascinating is you've got you've got different priorities in terms of go to market um, for marketers. So what, what you've got to accept in agency land and what you come to learn is that marketers are fundamentally insane um, f from the perspective that they want two completely different things at the same time. On one hand, marketers want uh, results. 
they want to see performance. They want to see things happen um, in a very controlled way as a result of the serious investments and considerations that they're making. In short, they don't want to get fired. Yes. At the same time, they want to think outside the box. They want to challenge category conventions. They want to find new ways of doing things. They want to get noticed. They want to get attention. Um, and they want to um, think outside the stream and, and find new innovative ways of doing things. In short, they want to get famous. Mm. And all marketers want to get famous and not get fired at exactly the same time. And It's a conundrum, isn't it? It is a conundrum. Because one naturally goes almost opposite to the other. You know, you could do what is known and proven and, you know, just grind it through, but you'll never be famous for that. And what comes through and, and what's important to understand is all marketers want both of those things. What is the order of priority? Mm. So um, no, I, I, I spent my early, about 100 years ago when I was learning my craft, I did that in London um, and in New York, in London, in Sydney. Um, uh, certainly there is... The, the, a London school, which is famous, then not get fired. So what do you do to drive innovation, creativity? What are those ideas at a campaign level um, or even a category level that are going to cut through and drive marketing objectives? Get there and then move that to a position of safety. How do you build sufficient reach? What are the safeguards? Uh, what learnings can we build? Can we bake into that to make sure it's going to deliver and set performance uh, indicators around that? What a lot of marketers will do um, in other in, in other markets, and th there's no right or wrong. It's purely how they approach it. Is they'll start from the position of safety. What is the plan that is going to deliver? What is the plan that's going to get me over the line? What do I know is going to work? What historically are we comfortable with? Uh, what are stakeholders really comfortable with? And then you lock that in and then you move that to a position of innovation. What can we do to, to add some innovation or creativity onto the top of that? Now, I've got a really clear point of view on which one of those is going to get you to a better place. But the reality is all marketers want both. All marketers deserve both. All brands deserve both. Um, and what you've got to do is you've got to understand that spectrum of diversity in terms of how you get there. Chris, that's an amazing insight because, you know, you often don't define those two uh, often um, conflicting objectives, but you're absolutely right. As soon as you started talking about it, I realised how often that marketers are wanting, you feel like they've almost uh, got split personalities because they want uh, what appears to be safety, but what they're really saying is, I want to get the job done. But at the same time, I want to innovate. I want to be different. I want to be the guy or woman that is known for disrupting and doing something unique. Now, it's I'd, I'd be interested in exploring the differences because I come from a science background. Mm. And science would tell you that you build knowledge from building on what you already know. So in some ways, the get it right and then innovate is the scientific way of doing it. It's like, here, we know this works. Okay, now what small experiments can we do in a way and see what impact that that has on overall results? That's that way. The other side is quantum leaps in uh, new ideas and new inventions, which is actually the way humanity has grown 
over you know, the millennia is these quantum leaps. We like to think we've evolved, but when you look at it, there are quantum leaps of thought exactly right. that drive it without a lot of control though. You know, it's like, let's innovate and let's see where this takes us. And we're suffering that or suffering going through that at the moment with social media and the impact that that's having on all sorts of things. Yeah, exactly right. And I think you're completely right. I mean, science is a really interesting parallel that, you know, we we said that that when it comes to safety and uh, innovation, marketers deserve both. Science is exactly the same. Um, When you have this solid grounding in a specialist field, um, but um, these leaps of the imagination, you can't have one without the other. Um, it, not just anyone um, uh, was able to grasp the concept of gravity because they saw an apple fall. Mm. It was somebody with a solid grounding in physics was able to make that huge leap because of that uh, imaginative thing. Um, the same uh, before, uh, before him uh, with uh, volume displacement. Mm. Not anyone would sit in the bath. Um, Archimedes, And the other one was Newton. It was Newton. So oh, it takes deep knowledge in a subject, mm. enables, allows you to make those imaginative leaps and those innovation leaps. And it's never a trade-off between these two things, between that um, the, the, the security knowing that marketing will deliver and the imaginative leaps that will drive innovation in that, it's it's a virtuous cycle. It, getting each of those right enables the other. But you've got to understand they're two different streams, they're two different things. Okay, so I'm going to uh, challenge you here because I find that the advertising industry, which is in the way set itself up to be the innovator, you know, we talk a lot about creativity and insights, and then marketing, which is the interface into business are the two sides of that in many ways. Do you think that's why, as an advertising industry and advertising agencies and media agencies, spend so much time talking about creativity and talking about insights and talking about disruption because they feel that they have to counter almost the weight of the sort of more rational, uh, predictive approach that comes from business? Um, I, I don't think it's so much about marketing being on one side and advertising agencies being on another. I think that both marketers and agencies are having a real moment and it is bordering on a crisis um, because we are trying to do, we have these conflicting impulses. We've got conflicting impulses around um, uh, performance and understanding the performance of marketing, um, whether that's in the short or the long term, um, but mainly in the short term. And then we've also got the impulse, which is that we know, we know the evidence is in that large business effects come from creativity and innovation um, and work that cuts through and gets noticed um, and, and, and challenges conventions. And I think no matter which side of the fence you're on, there, there is um, the, you are facing these conflicting impulses and we're not getting the balance right. Mm. The balance is far too in favour of short-term performance um, at, the, at, the, at the cost of long-term brand building. Um, and that's been happening for a decade. It's been happening ever since someone clicked on a banner and said, 
wow, I can measure that someone's done that, when they did it, how they did it really quickly. And ever since then, we're being pulled into this position of safety and it is, it is coming at a huge cost. Yeah. So I, I think the the real tipping point from my perspective, because, you know, I started working doing what we do in 2000. Mm. It was 2007, 2008, the world global recession, the financial yes. crisis, whatever people want to call it, was where businesses suddenly contracted. Yes. And in contracting, they often did what they'd always done in a recession, which is marketing is seen as an overhead, so we cut the marketing expense. Except that we had uh, marketers still needing to try and drive growth. They suddenly went from um, long-term brand building and long-term value, and long-term could be a year, three yeah, years, five months, years, yeah. yeah. Um, to needing to drive, you know, under a imperative to, yes, we've cut your budget, but you've also got to keep us out of going backwards. So you've got to start driving growth. At the same time, we had technology coming along, as you said, clicking banners. So suddenly marketers went from top of the funnel, and I like still like the funnel because I think it's still relevant, Agreed. to focusing on the bottom, yeah. becoming salespeople. Yeah. You know, the old... Uh, the old uh, relationship, the tension between sales and marketing, suddenly marketers were expected to be as accountable as the salespeople and getting those sales. I think I, I think that's all exactly right. And you add to that the issue of disruption um, driven by technology, the fact that one of the world's biggest accommodation companies doesn't own any accommodation, one of the world's biggest transport companies doesn't own any cars. Um, you've seen a huge disruption. A- any business is now looking at multiple horizons for where the next disruption is coming from. So on top of all that complexity you described across all of that, um, making sure we just deliver, what you've then got is anxiety over whether we're going to be disrupted and how and the speed and the chase Mm. and the the speed of that as well. Yeah, look, And And the imperative to internally disrupt. And I've seen those presentations, you know, IBM rolled it out, Deloitte, you know, and they all talk about it being technology. All of the successful disruptors, the the Airbnbs, whether it's Uber or Grab, whether it's Taobao or Amazon, you know, technology was an enabler. What they actually did was tap into customer experience because they're all getting used because they provide an experience that the traditional legacy systems no longer provide. You know, it wasn't, it's not technology that is actually the attractor to those experiences. It's the actual experience itself. You know, I I say to people, stop thinking that technology is the solution because technology is not the solution. It's the enabler. It's a bit like it's the tool in the toolbox, Mm. but you still need to understand the consumer. You still need to understand their experiences, their expectations, their wants, their desires, all of the things that I know you as a strategist are constantly thinking about and concerning about. But all the technology did was provide a platform to create a new experience. You know, it was interesting. I stayed in New York recently at Soda Apartments, S Sonda Apartments, sorry, S-O-N-D-E-R. Mm. This was a, a startup where they went to, to San Francisco, these two, these two guys, and they got an Airbnb, and they turned up at Airbnb, 
and they both got dog allergies and the place was covered in dog hair. And within an hour, they're like, can't breathe and <laughs> breaking out in welts. And then they, so they go to the hospital, they get treated for the, the dog hair allergy. They then check into a hotel and they suddenly have this epiphany. What if you could have hotel style service, consistency, quality of cleanliness in an Airbnb mm. type experience of staying in an apartment? And they've created Sonder Apartments, right? And I suddenly went, see, this isn't, yes, technology is part of it. They have the app and you book through the app and you order it, you know, whatever you need through an app, which hotels don't do. You call the concierge still. 100%. But that's not the reason I'm staying there. Yeah. It's actually the experience. It's the experience of staying in an apartment in New York City, but knowing that someone's toothbrush is not going to be there <laughs> or that there's going to be hair in the uh, under the bed and things like that, that it's actually be, being mm. kept like I tell. That's why I think we've got to be careful when we talk about technology transformations that they're still predicated on improving the customer experience they absolutely are and disruption is customer focused but there is absolutely an element which is understanding the potential and the capability of technology um technology is not the starting point you're right it's the enabler mm. but understanding what's possible is mm. absolutely uh, crucial i think that you know one of you know, one of my media hero, Alan Rusbridger of The Guardian, uh, former Guardian editor in The Guardian newspaper. And and he was in Sydney shortly before he retired, before he, before he left The Guardian, actually. Um, and someone asked a question um, about his his digital strategy and, and, and what is the digital strategy for The Guardian newspaper in, in this world and how do they manage to be treading a line through that where a lot of, a lot of publications aren't. And he said, the thing to understand is that what you cannot do is put brands on the internet. Mm. Successful brands have got to be of the internet. Right. You you cannot take a legacy institution and just put them on technology and go, well, this is going to be better now. It's got to be of the internet. You've got to understand what the the vibe of technology is, what it's capable of, what is it enabling, how is that changing behaviours and expectations. Um, and his question was, how do we make the Guardian of the internet, not on the internet? Yeah. And I think Kath has picked up and run with it. And what you've now got is the Guardian is arguably more community uh, of like-minded people globally than it is um, certainly a newspaper. And they understand what it takes to take an organization and be of the internet. Mm. Um, and I think that's, and, and that's crucial. It's, it, technology is not the enabler, but understanding the potential and being of technology and having that mindset will enable that disruption. So it's interesting because I remember quite a while ago, you know, having that distinction between uh, the internet or digital as a channel. Yes. And the internet as a platform, you know, and what I mean by that is so many advertisers and uh, many agencies for a long time just thought about digital yeah. as a channel that you would just buy impressions or you'd buy, you know, um, uh, engagement somehow. And yet what it really is best for is uh, creating a platform of which the business becomes part of that platform and a place where you interact and engage and create experiences for your customers or community or however you want to define it. It's exactly right. I mean, in, the, in many ways, the last 
decade, two decades, to see this Venn diagram emerge of, of legacy media, broadcast, whatever you want to call it, one to many, um, and then the, the emergent um, digital uh, businesses. And of course, what we've seen is that that Venn diagram come together. And we've now got this really interesting space in the middle where you've got performance capabilities because of all that. Um, uh, and you're starting to see digital spread into what were the legacy businesses. And we've, we're now seeing loads of tipping points around streaming. It's been a long time coming, but now we're seeing them. Um, we're seeing tipping points around things like VPAs. 50% of UK homes have now got a virtual personal assistant. Wow. Um, people, 50%, mm. half of UK homes um, uh, have now got um, um, a, a, a big digital giant that will help them with their shopping. It's, it's it, all these things being reached, the launch of Disney Plus later this year, um, and and streaming as default, as opposed to, to broadcast. Uh, we're seeing digital um, now massively impact um, these legacy, reach-building, long-term emotional brand-building engines. At the same time, thank goodness, we're seeing the, the learnings and the legacy of that big brand building start to impact um, the digital space. And that's why, quite rightly, we see big digital uh, platforms start to obsess about brand uplift, mm. start to obsess about um, long-term marketing metrics and what those platforms can drive quite rightly, what those platforms can drive rather than just short-term performance. It's interesting you should say that because I was, I've been talking to investors in uh, that are looking at startups. And one of the things they're starting to consider more than just what the idea is, is what is the potential for this to be a brand that becomes a lighthouse? And I think that's, um, that's uh, you know, um, challenger brands. Yes. So, yeah, the lighthouse that's going to attract a community because they see the ultimate financial value is creating these online lighthouses that will tra- attract people to them to interact with each other, with the brand, with the business, and that's where the financial rewards will come from. 100% right. And, and, and that's the advice we give. One of the big bits of advice we have clients at the moment is around having that really clear point of view. Um, one, of the, one of the consequences of certainly digital and, and, and contemporary marketing has been this alignment of message and media. And at PhD, we try and pull those things apart again. Successful brands right now have got a really clear pinpoint positioning and point of view um, that acts as that lighthouse, if you like. Mm. Um, But the danger is you target media in the same way. You custom precision craft really specific messages to reach Debbie um, in in South Hanoi because she's exactly tuned to that thing. Um, and, uh, And it doesn't work. The media's got to stay broad. Your reach has got to stay big. You've got to be engaging at a category level. So yes, have that lighthouse positioning, but you've got to go broad. You've got to be engaging a category with media. I, I think this, uh, for me, taps into the whole thing about someone called it social media. And in some cases, people have forgotten the social part and have focused on the media. Mm. And other places... Largely, those, largely those platforms themselves. Yeah. And, and others have uh, focused on the social and forgotten that it's a medium as well. So the two have become almost like polarised from each other, and yet it is a social media. Um, I also think people have forgotten that human beings are largely social animals. And, that and irrational want, ones. Yeah, but, and that we want um, validation from our peer group. 
you know, the people that are around us, we actually want to validate. So it's always been the concern for me, this talk about technology used for personalization, mm. because most of the time it's been used on me personally. Yes. It just comes across as creepy. Uh, uh, yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> Couldn't it be more? And I certainly, certainly the point of view of PhD is that, is that you only go into personalization and customization in media, if there's a really clear creative reason to do so, there's a there's a there's a place for personalization. There's a place for customization, uh, and that comes at a brand level, at a marketing level, at a user experience level, at a customer service level. Um, when you, um, if you, for example, arrive in a in an Airbnb or hotel room and there's a personalized note, um, that's yeah. an amazing experience. If you want to go um, shopping online and the site tailors around your browsing history so you can more easily and efficiently find what you want. That's a great reason to personalize and customize. Media doesn't work like that. No. Um, and, and I think that there's, there's this gold rush into this space, which, which, is, which, which is an absolute error. Because I think you know, the whole talk about um, big data or big data, what, however you want to pronounce it, is that there's a great opportunity to actually use it to identify these, some people call them tribes or communities or groups there, that you can start to then through media target them as a group because what you actually get then is the social recognition that they belong to a group and you as a brand are recognising mm. them as a group. You know, acknowledgement is such an important part of making people feel positive about your involvement in their community is actually acknowledging them for being part of that community. And the way to do it is data allows you to get an insight into what that group's about without actually having to go and ask questions like, so what colour's your favourite colour, Chris? Yeah. What, 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 what is the last chocolate bar that you that, yes. you, that you drank? Um, <laughs> it's exactly right, I think. And one of the points that Peter Field raised at Cannes this year when he raised his next level of alarm bell, you know, and I, I think that you know, Peter Field each year raises his DEFCON level um, when it comes to, to marketing effectiveness, quite rightly too. Um, and one of the things he said at Cannes this year was around big data. He said, brands that see large business effects as a result of marketing use big data to drive insight, mm. not performance. Yeah. And that's a really, I think it's a really bad point. And I, I couldn't agree with what he said. Say that again. The, the, the brands that see very large business outcomes as a result of marketing do so because they use data to drive insight, not short-term performance. That's brilliant. It's 100% right. Yeah. And um, thank goodness we've got people like um, Les and Peter Field who are raising the, that DEFCON level because um, we will look back at this time and we'll go, the balance wasn't right. Um, we weren't doing enough to build long-term brand building and invest in that. And we, we, we've, got, we've got to pull it back. But see, that's where I see uh, when you put a focus on what technology can do rather than focusing on the customer experience. Technology or what come, technology is. Yeah. Or, well, technology has come along and said, hey, we can actually take all this data and we can actually identify you as an individual and start talking to you as if we know you, right? And then in that process of personalization, the technology it gets it wrong or if it overplays its hand. And as a human being, you totally reject it. But if you use it for an insight about the group 
the community that you identify with and are able to talk to and engage that group with a conversation around the things that are important to you, then you feel much more comfortable because it's not putting the focus just on you. It's just because you can do something with technology is not the reason you should. All roads lead to Dr. Ian Malcolm and <laughs> Jurassic Park. Yes. Um, uh, exactly right. And I think that exactly that point, that that when we look back, I'm, I'm, I'm a massive optimist and I'm positive about digital. I think that... The, the, the capabilities and the opportunities that it's opened up for media and marketing communications are huge. Mm. But when we look back at what we did with digital until we get those balances right, and it will correct because it's got to, um, uh, we'll be defined by exactly that quote, you know, and, and, and Dr. Ian Malcolm. Uh, you are, we were so obsessed by thinking that what we could do we didn't stop to think whether we should. Mm. And that, that is the, the moment right now. Uh, we need to step back and we need to understand the context of declining effectiveness mm. right now across the board. Um, as an industry, we are less good at what we do than we were a few years ago. We're less good at it. And that's not good enough. Mm. We all need to pause, take a step and go, what should we be doing? Not not what can we be doing? What, what should we be doing to drive our clients' business, to build their brands uh, and to drive long-term performance? And one of the big anchors of that is creativity. Um, and that, I think, is why it is absolutely right that, that people like me and agencies will keep talking about creativity and innovation because that is one of the single biggest levers you can pull to get brands back on track and, and focus on big ideas that drive fame, that emotionally engage people um, and that uh, build brands at the top of the funnel in the long term. So Chris, you, you know, you've just said that and earlier you were talking about the rise of streaming because one of the things that cracks me up all the time is where People talk about advertising needs to become shorter and shorter because uh, the, the average human being has a attention span less than a goldfish. But how can that possibly be when people are now, you know, binging on 8, 10, 12 hours of watching long-form content? Mm. Isn't the fact that a lot of advertising is not actually engaging them, is not using either creativity or, or to inspire them or delight them or educate them or entertain them. All of that energy and creativity is going to create TV series that you binge on for a whole weekend. And the reason for that, Darren, is because the worst thing that ever happened to advertising is the advert. Right. That... Decades and decades of advertising craft trapped us into thinking that the way advertising works is through adverts. Mm. These units, packaged, pocketed messages that convey that as media's changed, those packets, those pockets have become smaller and smaller and more fragmented and more fleeting and more instantaneous. And the response to that has not been, well, perhaps advertising isn't adverts anymore. The response to that has been, let's just make the ads better, more punchy, more effective. 
let's obsess about them. Let's make these things that actually time may have come and gone. Mm. And let's try and, if we just make them better, and let's just try and make better ads. And what a lot of brands realize, and this comes back to the point around being off the internet, not on the internet, that brands that get the capabilities of technology to engage, reach, serve, and enable uh, products and services in people's lives, they understand that a lot of time ads get in the way of that. Mm. And in this age of streaming, when streaming, as streaming reaches a tipping point, it will punish, it will absolutely, the last remnants of people who think that the solution to the world right now is better ads Mm. will be swept away. Big ideas. People are consuming more content than ever before. We're consuming it more engaging ways. We're consuming it on our terms. The world has never been fuller of ideas and thoughts and concepts um, and creativity. And if the best we can do is make better ads, we don't get our place in the 21st century. We get our place as an industry by being part of the ideas culture, by being part of that content, by partnering and collaborating with people to produce ideas that challenge and that engage people um, and that create new things in the world. That is how in the 21st century brands will continue their legacy of being things that inspire people and engage people and and grow business and and, and grow um, uh, our societies and our economies. And we, we that's ours for the taking mm. if we want it. But better ads is not how we get there. <laughs> Chris, that's brilliant. Thank you. Uh, we've run out of time, um, which is a pity because I think we could almost do another podcast <laughs> uh, just leaping off from this point. Uh, thank you. Thanks for uh, having me here at, uh, at PhD in uh, Singapore. Thanks for making time. Uh, before we go, just one question, and that is, so what's been the biggest idea that you've seen hit the market in the past, say, 12 months? Mm-hmm.